In the holy name of Jesus, Amen. Amen. As we open up our continuation of the reading of Peter's gospel, the first Peter's epistle, the first Peter that he wrote, the first epistle that he wrote. Tonight we hear words from Peter that probably distracted us and made us feel a little uncomfortable. Peter talks about life together as husband and wife at the very beginning. And of course, what we heard at the very beginning causes a huge amount of controversy when you hear it read in our world today. Peter sounds like he's demeaning women. He sounds like he's a male chauvinist. And if this is taken out of context of the rest of the scriptures, perhaps that's exactly what he is. However, we have to take the whole Bible into the context of what we hear, no matter what page we are on when looking at the scriptures. When one speaks of husbands and wives in the Bible, always in the background is that image of Jesus and his bride, which is the church, you, me. Our marriages are not only defined by that, but they are to be the image of Christ and his life and his love for you, his bride, the church. He is a husband who loves you so much that he willingly lays down his life for you. And we as the bride in turn are told to submit ourselves, but never forcibly to him. Peter says the same thing should be found in our marriages. Uh-oh, that doesn't sound like it's very popular or very kosher with the way that we look at things today. However, you have to look at this here tonight in the grand context of what it is that he's saying. And you also must realize that he's talking about how both the relationship with Jesus and you, his bride, the church, and the relationship between a husband and wife are both raised up and exalted above all things. Peter gives us an example of Abraham and Sarah. There's actually a lot of irony there if you know your Bible. First of all, we know that Sarah was a very beautiful woman. That's why Abraham was always afraid somebody was going to kill him and take her as, her, as his wife. And yet Peter says that she's not just simply an example of outward beauty, but also of the inward beauty, the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit whose hope was in God. And because of her trust in God, she submitted to Abraham and obeyed him, even when he did really dumb things. This doesn't mean that she never stood up or spoke for herself. Indeed, she did. There's plenty of examples in the Bible where she did tell Abraham what to do. Send Hagar and this son of yours, Ishmael, away. And God even tells Abraham, you should listen to your wife. She knows what is right and good. Here again is a picture of the relationship between Christ and his bride, the church, who calls him Lord and Savior and who we should expect every good thing no matter how crazy or unknown it is. But even then, there's irony with Abraham. Despite all of the stupid things that Abraham does, 
like telling Sarah, hey, when we get into Egypt, I'm not going to call you my wife, but I'm going to call you my sister, and you just go along with it. And she maybe rolls her eyes and says, okay. Peter says that even beyond that, Abraham was not this great example for us because there is so much irony with the dumb things that he himself did. And yet he looks at Abraham and to all husbands and says, husbands are to love their wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Uh-oh, here we go again. What is he talking about here? Abraham did not do this with Sarah. In fact, he happens, it happens twice. He talks about Sarah being his sister with Pharaoh and then with Abilamech and the king of Gerar in Genesis 20. Abraham was only concerned about himself. He was only concerned about his status, his own life, and not his own bride. All again, once again, showing that these people are mentioned in the scriptures and yet the scriptures are full of people with sinful and messed up lives. And what about that verse that says, the weaker vessel? Go back to the context. He says that it should be shown all due honor, he says, holding everything down below the wife. The wife is to be honored high above everything. Maybe it's a little easier to see it like this. I have a bunch of stuff in my house, and I'm sure you do as well, but you don't treat all of that stuff in your house the same way. I have a pair of shoes that are in the garage. They're always in the garage, and I wear those shoes to mow the lawn and do yard work. I also have some very old antiques that have been passed down to me from my grandparents, my great-grandparents, and even my great-grandparents. I don't take those antiques outside with me when I mow the lawn. I take special care of them. I hold them up in high honor, in a high place, because I've got daughters and cats. I put them away in places where they can't be touched, where they can be seen even with light shining on them. But I don't use them like the shoes to walk in the mud and the doggy stuff in the backyard. And I certainly don't throw them into the garage like I do those shoes when I'm done. Peter says tonight, this is how you are to treat your wives as valuable and precious and worthy above everything else, being shown honor above everything else. These verses have nothing to do with power and physical strength. And it's not as if Abraham made Sarah walk around with long hair barefoot as he dragged her everywhere he went. Peter says here tonight, this is how we are to regard one another. And again, consider behind all of that how precious you are to Christ as his bride and how he has lifted you up and honored you. And so in all of our life together, Peter continues, if we 
could get past the first couple of verses that might give us the heebie-jeebies a little bit. He actually has some wonderful things here that he reminds us in this grand context of things. All of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. How can this be? How can we do all of this? It sounds wonderful. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Be humble, tender-hearted, be loving, have sympathy, be of one mind. Here again, we have to read it in the context. We have to go back to Jesus. We love because he first loves us. We are of the unity of mind and spirit because he has given us his Holy Spirit. We now have the tender-heartedness of himself as he has taken out our cold, stony hearts and replaced them with a heart of flesh beating with his own blood. We now have the means and the ability to be humble, to recognize evil and not repay evil for it, and to be a blessing to everyone we encounter. That is our hope. The righteous one who died for uh, the unrighteous ones, as Peter says, that he might bring you into that relationship with God. And he's done that. As Peter spells it all out through Jesus' death, his descent into hell, his resurrection, and his ascension. For you, his bride, he took on the punishment of sins that he did not do. He became sin for us, even though he knew no sin. He took on all of our shame, all of our scorn, all of our weakness, and he died for it all. And then he went to hell. As we say in our creed, he descends into hell and there he goes to hell not to suffer, but to proclaim that not even hell can keep him captive. He has defeated that for you as well. And then he busts open the rock on the empty, on the empty tomb as he walks out on that Easter morning. All of this submitting to the Father perfectly here in this life for you, so that you might be lifted up and honored in his sight. And now Peter says, all powers have been subjected to him. And what's even better is that all of this has been given to you in your baptism, which now saves you. Not because it removes dirt from the body, but because it removes sin from our soul. Because that water is your union with Christ and his death and his resurrection. Him giving it all to you. It's where you and I became his bride and receive all that he has. We are now like Noah and his family, safe in the ark and saved through water. You are saved in Christ and saved through that water. Baptism now saves you. As it says on the font right there. You are forgiven and protected by your heavenly bridegroom. And now you are free and able to live the new life. 
the baptized life. God's own child, I gladly say it, I am baptized into Christ. United with Christ as Christians in an unchristian world as we've been looking at all through this Lenten season. That life is going to look quite different than those in the world around us and what we're used to. And so Peter says, always be prepared to make a defense. That doesn't mean that you go out to the unbelieving world and say, put up your dukes. He simply says, be ready to give an explanation to anyone who might ask of the hope that is in you. Why are you kind? Why do you seem to be looking out for others? Why is it that you always put the best construction on everything? Tell them of Christ and his forgiveness, says Peter, and his new life he's given you. And Peter says, no matter how they receive you, have no fear of them, even if they mock and ridicule you, because they did that to Jesus as well. And above all else, they cannot take Jesus away from you because he holds you in such high honor and display. And he says, even if you suffer for this, you will be blessed. Which doesn't mean we're going to leave here tonight and everything's going to be all hunky-dory and easy. But it gives us confidence that Jesus has all the power. And all the powers of this world are subjected to him. And that he can and will use everything in this life, good, bad, downright ugly, for our good to be a blessing. I don't know why it happens at times. I don't understand it, neither do you. I don't stand up here as some great man high up in the mountain with all the answers to life. In many ways, we just simply look at all of this around us, we hear all of this tonight, and we simply by faith say, yes, amen, it is so. You may have noticed that each week that we have been meeting over Peter's epistle, We've had a theme of identity and unity, and tonight it's actually about love. You may have noticed I haven't even mentioned that word love. But even though I haven't mentioned that word love, we've really been talking and hearing about it all night here tonight. The world simply thinks that love is love, an emotion. But the scriptures speak about something that with love that is done. Remember, in the context, when we hear of love, there is Jesus doing all of the work for you, showing you and giving you his love. We see it in for what he has done. He doesn't just look at you and say, I love you. He does the love for you, especially on the cross. Greater love has no man than this, that he lays down his life. And that love is now given to us in all of our relationships, in our marriages, in our work life, in our family life, in our life here at the church, living as Christians in an unchristian world, we simply now can do the same. Not fearing anything that is frightening, for Peter said perfect love Jesus drives out fear. 
And because that, you have been given that perfect love that has no end. His forgiveness, his promise, his victory, and his faithfulness to you, his bride. To Christ alone be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.